Hi everyone. Uh, we'll get back to that photo, so don't feel like you would have uh, missed out on seeing that. Um, but again, if I haven't met you before, my name is Celia and you have invited me to come and speak to you today um, about a topic which I actually think unites all of us, whether you're actually a believer, so you actually know Jesus, or whether you actually have no particular belief. Uh, and that will probably be some of us in this room, I hope. But why I think it unites us both is because as we look at the topic today of suffering and pain, that neither of those two things is discriminatory or indiscriminate. So in other words, it doesn't seem to just go for either the person who has belief or the person who doesn't. But my sense is that what we will find out is that all of us at some point, if we haven't already encountered some kind of suffering or some kind of pain, well, then we probably will at some stage. And that, in fact, is the truth. Now, I know at this stage you probably don't know much about me. Some of you might know me, but I suspect that a lot of you don't know me terribly well. And uh, you might be wondering, oh, okay, well, you know, why are you up here talking about this? I know that some of you at this point in time might have already, by observation, started to make a few things to try and find out about me. Uh, so a few observations like that, potentially in my dress sense or lack thereof. As my husband said, I don't know how you can get away with crazy red tights and brown, but never mind. <laughs> uh, maybe you're sitting there already taking a guess at how old I am and making an observation about that. And as you do that, you are trying to learn a little bit about me. Maybe for some of you who are sitting very close or if you've got extremely good eyesight, uh, some of you will see that I actually have a wedding band which actually tells you that I belong to another family apart from my birth family. But apart from that, we often seem to have a good stock standard question, don't we? And that's generally, well, hi, my name is, what do you study? What degree are you doing? Or maybe we do something like, where do you live? In those days when we first start up at university. I want to share with you a little bit of my story just as we start. So that was me when I was two and a half with my mum. And uh, what I wanted to share and start off in this way was, uh, this will help you get to know a little bit more about me. See, uh, my mum, when I was about 14, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. Now, some of you may not know much about that disease, but let me tell you a little bit about what it was like. So when I was 14, normal 14-year-old, sometimes I would say something to my mum. She'd ask me a question like, what are you doing after school today? Tell her the answer. She'd ask me just before I went to school in the morning. I'd come home and she'd say, where were you? And being a typical 14-year-old, I'd go, Mum, I told you. But then sometimes Mum would do some actually other strange things. So, for example, the time when I opened the fridge door to get a snack out of the fridge and there was the kettle. Sometimes, when I'd come home through the door, this is a couple of years later, so I was about 16, Mum would say, where's that man who sometimes comes and stays here? Meaning my dad. And sometimes, when I came walking through the door, Mum would say very kindly, but she'd say, 
We know each other, don't we? And that was the kind of disease that she had from the time I was 14 roughly through to the time I was 26. And it's a disease which just gets worse and worse. But what about for you? Because I wonder if we went around the room and actually if we, uh, you know, kind of heard a few stories, that I suspect that we could add to my story of lots of different things which people have experienced, let alone what other people suffer in the world. Some of the things such as war, disease, slavery, death, Horrors which might even seem to make the things which you've experienced just pale into significance. And so what I'd like to do with you now is actually take an anonymous poll. It's totally, no one will know. Uh, all you need to do is pull out your phone, okay? And I want you to enter into uh, your phone this URL, bearing in mind it is case sensitive. Okay, and there you'll see a question. Uh, it's pretty easy really. All you need to do uh, is mark the one which is closest to what you may have experienced. Okay? Yep, good. I can see people who are looking up and down, making sure they've got the right hole or the right URL. Okay, how are we going? Everyone got it in? People have the page up. Okay, just a couple of nods if yes, you've got it. Yes, you filled it in. Yep, a few thumbs up there. Anyone need more time? Yep, one hand. Okay, a little bit longer. Okay, let's start to have a look, shall we? <coughs> we just move across a bit. Okay. Who have we got? Just refresh it again. So 96 people have filled it out so far. So we've got 100. I don't know. 100? Yeah, well, there's a few more people in the room than 100, I think. But you can start to see a bit of a picture already, can't you? Even though, and again, some of this does make a bit of sense that some people may have put none of the above. Now, maybe it was because there is a category there that doesn't fit you, but maybe because of your age and stage in life, you actually haven't yet uh, experienced significant suffering, and that's okay. But again, it's interesting to see that it's actually a thing, which again, it wouldn't just be for me, but there are lots of us in the room who start to kind of experience some things where we think, this is painful, this is actually hard. But have you noticed how, given the reality on the board, and that would still be a significant amount of people who have experienced something, like even though the other categories are lower, but have you noticed that suffering isn't something that we particularly tend to talk about? See, it's not kind of the party 
kind of conversation starter that you have, is it? Or even with your friends. So I could walk over here to my friend Becky and I could say, so, Becky, are you suffering anything right now? It's just not the kind of thing you do, is it? No matter how well you know the person, let alone if you don't know them. I suspect even if it was really blatant and the person in front of us was in a wheelchair or maybe had a disfigurement, we wouldn't actually say to them, how's your pain? And I think the reason is because, frankly, it's difficult. It's actually really hard. And what it means is that for some of us, as we you know, struggle with it, but for all of us, in fact, um, what we need is to work out, well, how are we going to make sense of suffering and pain? And actually, can you actually survive it? Is there any way of moving through it, past it? And that's one of the things which we're going to look at today because suffering is the kind of thing which causes us to cry out, why? Where is God? Is he in this? Does he actually care? Why is this happening to me? Now I want to say right from the outset, I am a Christian, but that doesn't mean that Christianity provides all the answers. And actually, Christians would readily admit that. Um, I can't. Yeah, thanks. As you can see there, there is a, a Christian philosopher and a teacher and he basically said, I've concluded that man is unable to discover the work that is done under the sun. Even though a man labours hard to explore it, he cannot find it. Even if the wise man claims to know it, he is unable to discover it. But also, writer for the New York Times, Leah Hager-Cohen said, the ability to know one's limitations, to recognise the bounds of one's own comprehension, this is a kind of knowing that approaches wisdom. And so I actually think it's okay that sometimes we live within this space of not knowing everything. Okay? Uh, and yet, of course, that still doesn't stop us from asking the why questions. Uh, but the question is, do you have a way of coping with it? And again, do you have a sense of being able to manage it in such a way that you can get through suffering and pain? <coughs> Let me give you a couple of alternatives which were suggested to me. Uh, and they were things like this. So, for example, when my mum was fairly much immobile, so she was actually unable to feed herself, uh, to shower, to change, we had to help her do that. That one person said to me, actually very sympathetically, but they said, that's really bad luck, isn't it? It's just, wow, so random. And I remember thinking, bad luck. Is that what it is? That's one alternative. We're in a random world. Some people are bound to get hurt and some people are bound not to. A second alternative uh, that put to, tried to put the blame back onto the person, which was suggested, was... Uh, at, um, at an event one time where a friend of my mum, she came up to me and she said, you know, your 
mum, she was such an independent and self-reliant woman. How hard it must be for her to experience now having to be as dependent on you as a five-year-old. Such a hard lesson for her to learn. And essentially what they were saying was something like, well, you reap what you sow or it's payback because she was independent and now she was learning life's lesson of what did it mean to be dependent. But then there's one other approach. I don't know if you're liking any of these, but here we go. The third one is, and I'm going to say this is the one which is the most tempting. I've even tried it myself quite a lot. And that's just avoid it. Just actually try and pretend it doesn't exist and it's not there. So in other words, I remember times when I might have visited my mum while she was in respite care at the nursing home. And uh, I'd see some friends later on in the day and they'd go, how was your day? And I'd go, okay. I just lie. Because actually it was too difficult to talk about the pain and the suffering. So the better way was just avoid it. We're going to take another poll now and uh, you'll see another URL on the screen. So enter this one into your phone and you'll see that as you uh, pull it up on your phone that it's related to the first one. Okay? Okay, people have it up, yes, a few nods, or at least some thumbs up, I oh, know, still a few heads looking up and down, okay. Has everyone got it? <coughs> All you're doing is rating how effective you if you think some of those uh, alternatives might be with some of the experiences that you've had. Anyone need more time? Nope, okay, we'll start to pull it up on the screen. Okay, we've got 74, there was 100 people before. Let's see if we can get 100 people back. Almost there. Any last takers to get us back to at least the 100? Here we go. Okay. So on a scale of not to five, not being not very effective at all, five being uh, very effective, no one actually got to very effective. Kind of interesting, isn't it? that actually we, even as we hear the alternatives, the alternatives to actually a Christian position, that we actually don't think that they are that great at helping us either make sense of suffering or moving through it. And even so, like me, some of you decided to go for the avoidance. We still have that sense of, actually that's a very short term thing. It actually doesn't still take us the distance of however long we might be around for. So I don't know how you've come today because perhaps you have come with a picture of God which is a bit like that. Uh, in other words, maybe that he is disengaged. So he has just left everything to random chance. Okay, It's just a bit of bad luck. 
That's the kind of God that he is. Maybe you've come with a view that God is vindictive, that he's on about payback. Or he's saying, well, hey, you're now reaping what you sowed. You ignored me and so here it is. Or maybe you're with a picture of God sitting with a, well, no, actually I think he's pretty uncaring. I think he just avoids us because we're here and there are just way too many problems to deal with. So he just turns his back. But I want to say, if this is the God that you have, it is actually not the Christian God and it's not the God of the Bible. Because the God who I've come to know and trust, even in pain and suffering, uh, he lets us into two important things. And one of them is that suffering doesn't have to be an end in itself. It is not the final port of call. And secondly, that he's actually done something about it. And so I'm going to get Sammy to come up, there she is, and um, she's going to read an account from the Bible to try and help us understand these two things. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples questioned him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he left washed and came back seeing. His neighbours and those who formerly had seen him as a beggar said, isn't this the man who sat begging? Some said, he's the one. No, others were saying, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. Therefore they asked him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Where is he? they asked. I don't know, he said. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was the Sabbath. So again the Pharisees asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them. I washed and I can see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was a division among them. Again, they asked the blind man, What do you say about him, since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. They asked them, Is this your son, the one you say was born blind? How then does he now see? We know this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents answered. But we don't know how he now sees and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the Messiah, 
he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, He's of age, ask him. So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Well, there you go. So this is an account from the Bible. And uh, you don't need to know very much about the Bible to get the gist of the story, do you? Think about it. This is a time, uh, roughly probably about the year 33, a long time ago, where this guy was probably unlikely to get a job. It's a farming community. That's how people survived. Pretty much whatever came from the land made it to their table. And there was a time when there was Medicare or any government benefits. And actually the account tells us that what, what actually is left to this man is just a beg. That's all he's got left to survive. Now, to make it more interesting, the account also tells us that the common belief of how people thought back then was that suffering was directly linked to payback. Because you see that some of the conversation is initially uh, that the he who was coming to the man is Jesus and some of, in fact, the, the blokes who were with Jesus said, so, so who actually did the wrong thing, that he's blind? Because that's how they thought it worked. Um, it's payback for either sins that he'd done, so, you know, things that he'd committed against God, or maybe that his parents had done. To make it worse, the man is socially excluded because he's actually not allowed to go to the place where the community gathered, which happened to be the local temple. Uh, And in fact, um, he would have been, I guess, uh, to to help us understand, well, what does this mean to be socially excluded? He'd be like the kid at school, all right, which no one talked to. He'd be like the kid like when you were in primary school who kept pooing their pants and you just kind of go, no, no, I'm not going near them. I don't want to be associated with them. It's that kind of tight-knit community everyone knew and no one wanted to go near him. Okay? Even his parents didn't want to be associated with him. The account was, they were going, oh, yes, 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 he's our son. But they were going, no, 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 you go talk to him. Because they didn't want to get in trouble either. And so when you look at it, this man is suffering. Think about all the ways that he's suffering. And it would be fair to say that until this man had met Jesus, he actually had no hope. Well, how would you feel if for the last, say, 17, 18 years of your life, if you couldn't see? Put yourself in his shoes. What would it be like? I mean, think about all the things you have seen, all those Instagram moments which you've posted, the times when maybe you've stayed up late at night to watch the sunrise with a friend and think as if they had never, ever happened because you actually didn't have the experience of them. Because that's what life was like for that guy. He's well and truly suffering. But notice Jesus' reaction. I reckon that's the interesting thing in um, in the account. Because he doesn't give a reason for the suffering, which I kind of find is a, a bit unexpected because I think like most of us, we'd still have the why question. But Jesus actually ignores the why question and he actually goes for uh, 
his first point, which I told you about, that suffering isn't an end to itself. Because in the account he actually says that the reason that the guy, that he and this guy have met is for the glory of God to be seen. So no matter what you think about that, Jesus is very clear that suffering is not the end point. And rather, that it is more like one chapter in the story and there are many other chapters to come. But the other thing is, even as frustrating as you might find it, that Jesus doesn't answer all the questions in the account, but secondly, I think the very interesting thing is that Jesus just doesn't sympathise with the man and say, oh, I'm really sorry, this is truly awful. But he actually deals with suffering head on. He actually wades in and engages with it and he actually shows that he has the power to do something about it. Which kind of gives us our second point, that God can do something about suffering. Which again harks back to our how do you make sense, how do you move through suffering? Well, A, because if you think it's not an end in itself, which Jesus shows as he interacts with this man, and B, if you know a person who can do something about it. But not just temporarily so. And so what we see is as God actually has power over this man's suffering, yes, people are left scratching their heads kind of going, well, who is this man? Is he a good bloke? Is he not? But actually, if we continued reading the account, we would actually see that the guy is so ecstatic, he basically doesn't care what the social community does to him or about his parents, but he just goes, I can see. Uh, and, and his whole life has been transformed by him meeting Jesus. And in that way, I guess this is what I'm wanting to put before you today, that with no matter which way you've come at the moment, with the way of how you deal with suffering and pain, how you make sense of it, how you've tried to move through it, that yes, again, the Bible doesn't give us all the answers. So no, it won't tell me why my mum suffered from Alzheimer's. No, it won't say why some of us in the room have been diagnosed with maybe depression, anxiety, physical abuse or maybe death or relational distress. But what it actually does is show us that throughout in the account, Jesus is compassionate. That he doesn't just shrug his shoulders and say, well, that's bad luck. And neither does he say, Serve yourself right. You've been a very bad man. And neither does he kind of just go, oh, this is all a bit awkward. I think I'll just kind of distance and remove myself. But again, rather, he wades right in, comes very close to the man and enters his pain and his uh, non-seeing world and does something. Jesus actually restores and suddenly gives this man a whole new hope. And so Jesus himself, in fact, knows this personally. For those of you who are familiar with what Christians believe, we know that Jesus understands what suffering and pain is when he actually endured a Roman uh, form of torture by being crucified on a cross. As he cries out to God of the emotional distress he has as he is wrenched from his heavenly father. And yet we know also that that's not the final chapter, even for Jesus, because again, God can do something. 
he wades in, he actually brings back from the dead his son, rather than just simply sympathise. He's a powerful God. You can do something. And what again it means is that suffering actually doesn't have to crush us. And that's not to kind of go, look, just leave the room and be happy, because I want to say that suffering does leave its scars. That's the reality of what it means to be people. But I think what it does say is that the God, if he can bring people back to life, is such a powerful God that he can actually give us hope. And that hope is actually captured for Christians as we kind of go, God can actually give me a restored life for me who trusts him and actually I can meet this great God face to face one day. Because that's actually the high picture that Christians have. And it's actually captured in this um, this quote from one of Jesus' followers. Where he recorded this vision, and I think it's a great vision for those of us who have actually experienced pain and suffering. God is dwelling with humanity. He will live with them, they will be his people. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Death no longer exists. Grief, crying and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. And so as I finish up, the last part of my story ended about 20 years ago. So that was the day when my mum finally died And I remember very, very clearly still, like with great clarity, her funeral. And even though it was a long time ago, I remember, not because I had lots of intellectual questions about suffering, but it was the emotional side that actually still hurt and I still have questions about. And yet I find that the way to manage as I continue on is to also, and as I actually see lots of my friends suffering, sometimes similarly to you, sometimes worse, is that by continuing to keep putting my trust in God, that for people who are Christian, that there is lots of hope and that suffering doesn't have to be the end.